Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Awesome. I'm excited to talk to you about this. We're starting a brand new series called Chasaf. Everybody say Chasaf. Now wipe the spit off the person in front of you real quickly. This is week one. The title of my message is The Dreamer. And, and this is a series for the dreamers and the discouraged, for the suffering and for the successful. This is a series on the life of Joseph, or in the original Hebrew, Chasaf. And we're pulling out chapters of his life as we read through the book of Genesis. And you'll find that it's, it's a story about the promises of God that are pro- fulfilled in the most of unlikely of ways. That, that God is the giver and the fulfiller of dreams. So each week we're going to unpack something new and we're going to read through Genesis. But I, I want to just encourage you. What I love about his story, look right here. What I love about his story is that this is the story of tragedy and triumph. Where we see people go from the pit to the palace. And so I want to encourage you over the next few weeks to really lean in. And you might find or discover that you have more in common with this hero of the faith, Joseph, than you ever thought possible. I want to read his story, just the beginning of our chapter today. It's in Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. The notes will be, the scripture will be on the screen. If you'd like to text the word notes to the number that we have on the screen all the time, you can follow along. But everybody take a deep breath. This is 11 verses. Are you all ready for this? Here we go. Anybody have ADD or ADHD or AD, like me, ADDDDDDDD? Yeah, okay. So 11 verses a lot. Y'all hang with me. Like lean in for a minute. Are y'all ready for this? Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. And it reads like this. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Cana. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, the key character in our story today, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilchah and Zilchah. That's just challenging to say, isn't it? His father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, which is Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe or a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and didn't learn lessons from before. And he told it to his brothers again. And he said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, he had 11 brothers, were bowing down to me. But then he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him. And he said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, and his father kept this saying in mind. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you that you're here. 
We thank you that you're up to something big, and we thank you that you're going to reveal your purposes and plans to us today as we explore the life and the story of Joseph. And so now, God, we just give you permission over the next few moments to rearrange the proverbial furniture of our lives. We don't want to leave here the same. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. And that just means I agree. And I think the pastor looks extremely charming today. So thank you. I appreciate that. Let's, let's kind of unpack the characters of this story for a moment if we can. I mean, we just read 11 verses of a story that takes place over multiple chapters, and he's a key, central character in the Bible. But some characters actually begin to emerge here in the first few verses of this chapter. And, and one of the characters is obviously Joseph, and he was clearly the parental favorite. He was his father's favorite. How many of you in here were your parents' favorite? Raise your hand right now. I think all the rest of us don't like you. How many of you were the baby and you raised your hand? Yeah, we all know. How many of you are an only child and you raised your hand? Because that does not count, my friends. <laughs> now, how many of you, like me, are more gifted, talented, and wise because you're the middle child? Would you raise? We're going to start a connect group. Hey, oh, what's up, middle children? Yeah, my people starting a connect group for middle children only. None of you olders or babies. We don't have time for you. Ain't got time for that. So here Jacob, the father of Joseph, he, he, Joseph's born to him in his old age. And, and so he clearly had this, this favor and love for him. My mom's favorite child, she has seven, is clearly my older brother, Sean. There's no doubt about it. Or my youngest brother, Shannon. I'm literally wedged in the middle and forgotten about. Y'all feel bad for me right now. My nephew's over here in the neon green sweatshirt. He knows it's true. It's just devastating. Seven kids, and I think I'm forgotten, floating off in California. They live in Texas or the East Coast. They call us California. Y'all pray for them. Yeah, I got time for that. So here's Joseph. Joseph is the beloved son of Jacob. And, and obviously there's some challenges that come up, but Jacob takes his love for Joseph one step further, and he gives Joseph a coat. The Bible called it a robe of many colors. And the robe is just signifying the, the length of this garment. And it's suspected by historians and theologians that, that there was a practice of binding deeds inside the sleeves of these garments. Deeds to land or money inside the sleeves of the garment. And so a long sleeve garment would actually show or hold a great deal of money or property in it. So this was not just... Uh, some type of fashion statement for Joseph, but rather this is a symbol of status and his inheritance. So if you can imagine, his father was one of the wealthiest men in the land. He has 12 sons, actually eventually has 13. And in those days, there literally was a birth order that if you were the oldest by way of your birthright, you received the inheritance. And now the youngest son, the father puts this cloak on him, this robe on him, and he's saying essentially, he's my favorite. I love him the most. And when I die, he gets everything. So another theme that's introduced here, and they didn't sheepishly write this, but that this favoritism actually created enormous sibling rivalry. I mean, it was palpable. You, you heard it in the text. And they hated him even more and could not speak peaceful words to him. So it wasn't just that they hated him. They didn't want to see him or talk to him. And I believe the reason is because this coat was a reminder to the brothers of what they did not have. This coat was synonymous with their deficiencies. 
And as we know from the text that Joseph was a cocky little punk sometimes, right? Let me tell you my dream, brothers. And he would wear this garment, and it was as if every time they saw this garment, it reminded them of their deficiencies. And I just wonder for those of us in this room today, what are the coats of deficiency in your life? What are the things that you see on a regular basis that kind of slap you in the face and, and, and whisper that you're just not quite good enough? Maybe for some of you, it's the Pinterest moms who have all the crafts mapped out, summer hits, and they've got something to do for every day of the week. And you're like, I don't want to be with my kids every day of the week. Or maybe for, for you, it's the, the families who go on elaborate vacations, and it's just a reminder, we're just not there financially, we never will be. Or maybe it's spiritual leaders in the church. It's funny, I sit down with and talk to people all the time, and I hear over and over again, I wish I was as strong as, or if I wish I was a better leader of my family like, or I wish my husband was more like, or I wish my wife was more like so-and-so, and relating them to leaders within the church, and that has become a coat of deficiency. And I'm just thinking, man, you don't even know. Those people are jacked up. <laughs> are you tracking with me today? Maybe it's the clothing, the fit, the outfit. And every time you see the new clothes, the new shoes, it's a code of deficiency for you. Maybe it's a physically fit or affluence or intellect or career advancement. What, what is the coat of deficiency? It's terrifying to me that for some reason we are equally stimulated by but also feel deficient because of these perceived coats of success. We want it so desperately, and yet it equally makes us feel insignificant because of this perceived success. And it just tells us, this is my current reality, this very pressing, very painful, and very disappointing reality right here, right now, this slap in the face that tells me I'm not where I want to be or I'm not who I think I should be. And I, I think you'll find that the characters of this story experience the same challenges that you and I face today, but thousands of years ago. The coats of deficiency, it's a gut punch and, and a suffocation of purpose at every turn. Which is why this story is so essential to tell and to hear. To, to be reminded that, that we were not created to be taken out by feelings of insignificance due to perceived success. And then enters a new character on the scene. Now this character is not human, yet this character is the linchpin for our story. This reminder that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of obscurity, in the midst of feelings of deficiency, listen to me, God will give you a dream. God will give you a dream. Now I have some thoughts today for those of you that are the dreamers in the room. And for those of you that, that are not the dreamers, that maybe thoughts to hopefully kickstart you from sleeping through the dream, like to encourage you to stop hitting the snooze button on the dreams of your life. So my first point, I'd encourage you to write this down, is number one, God is the giver of dreams. God plants the dream. He gives birth to the dream. If he was Leonardo DiCaprio, he would incept the dream. Are you tracking with me in here? And he's the one that says, hey, I have something for you. It's the realm where his majesty is revealed through humanity. 
It's an idea which is birth and is part possibility and part miraculous. Like I can see some possibilities, but oh my God, it's going to take a miracle where the impossible and the possible meet. The intersection of the two of these. And he has created us with the ability to dream. You need to be reminded of that today. He's created you with the ability to dream. But all too often, we allow dream killers to win in our life. I wrote down a couple of thoughts of some potential dream killers for some of us in this room today. I think one dream killer is yesterday. Perhaps that you're plagued by yesterday's disappointments. By the failed marriage or the failed business. Or maybe your failed attempt at, at, at your walk with the Lord. Like you, you say, I'm going to do, this time is different, God. I, I'm staying faithful. And I'm going I'm to walk in your ways. And, and maybe you're just reminded of the failings of yesterday. And if that's you, I want to encourage you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, in the message paraphrase. I love the way this is worded in verse 18. Check this out. It says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history, but be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. Turn to somebody and say brand new. Brand new. I think yesterday is a dream killer. I think another dream killer is tomorrow. For some of us in this room, it's not about looking back to our past. It's about looking to the future. And when you have a dream or when God births something inside of you, you actually see more of the impossible than the possible. Sure, God has a road to purpose, but I can only see the potholes, the potential problems, the reason it won't work, instead of the reasons of why only God can. And I love this continuation of the verse, Isaiah 43, verse 18, we just read, but I look at what verse 19 says. It says, forget about what's happened to you. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. We've read this, right? Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. I love the word picture in that. It's like this thing that God wants to do desperately in and through each of us. And then he goes on and says, don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. And some of you walked in here today and all you know is the deserts of life. And when you hear the idea or the thoughts of dreaming, you only can conjure up that which you don't have, that which seems impossible. But if he's the giver of dreams, then he's also the maker of ways. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. And I just want to encourage some of you today who are allowing tomorrow to kill the God dreams inside. I think another killer of dreams is today. Yesterday, tomorrow, and today, it's the, the notion of, frankly, I'm just exhausted. And to dream, it sounds an awful lot like more. And I just don't know if I can handle more right now. I just don't know if I can take more right now. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says this, But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. I just want to encourage some of you in the room, it's time to start dreaming again. It's time to start dreaming again. 
It's time to get awake and let God breathe some fresh air, some fresh wind into the sails of your life. If God is the giver of dreams, the second point is this. We are the stewards of dreams. That we steward, we take care of it. And, and in this scripture, we see three different responses to the dream that God placed inside of Joseph. In Joseph, we see him respond with pride. We know this. This is obvious through the, the text that we just read. He said to them, hey, hear this dream that I have dreamed in verse 6. And the word hear in the original Hebrew, it literally means, hey, listen and pay attention. It's a condescending tone like that of a teacher to a student. Hey, draw near to me and let me give you the wisdom of my dreams at the ripe wise age of 17. <laughs> Class is in session. Let me teach you about the future. How many of you know somebody that thinks they know just a little bit too much? Raise your hand right now. How many of you have been that somebody? Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank Me too. Let me teach you about my dream. But here's the biggest challenge. He told them about the dream before it was time. And they hated him. And then he had a dream again. And he didn't learn. And he told them again. And they hated him even more. And our responsibility is to simply steward the dream that God's given us. But, but listen, when I make the God dream about me, I miss the moment and pride is at work. When I make the God dream about me, I miss the moment and pride is at work. And if pride is at work, I'm headed for destruction. Look at what Proverbs 16 says in the Passion Translation. I love the words that he used to pin this. Your boasts become a prophecy of a future failure. The higher you lift yourself up in pride, the harder you will fall in disgrace. You know what is so baffling to me? In, in the 18, actually 20 years of ministry that I've been in, I've, I've sat across the table from so many different people who've walked through so many different seasons of life, experienced so much pain, and part of my job is to help put the pieces back together again. But I've seen God work in and through some jacked up people with crazy stories. He has this amazing way of working through people who've had sin in their life, but the one thing God can never work through is pride. Because pride says, I know better than you. It's the, the word picture, the, the idea of a coach telling their team, hey, run that play. And they get it wrong. It says, run it again. They get it wrong. Run it again. We're going to keep going over this play over and over and over again until we get it right. And when we've got pride in our life, the Bible says God never leaves us nor forsakes us. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to let us run that play again. He's going to let us run it again. It might hurt. It might be painful because we walked through some experiences we don't want. But our pride got us into it. He's like, hey, I've got bigger plans, bigger dreams for you, but until you get this thing figured out, run that play again. We saw this through the children of Israel when they were in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. Run that play again. Run that play. When will you just, when will you trust me? Run that play again. When will you believe that my words and my promises are yes and amen? Run that play again. When will you realize that my ways are better than your ways? Run that play again. And I just wonder how many of us you can maybe be done with that play just by saying no to pride. Joseph's response was pride. The brother's response was skepticism. 
In verse 8, we see this emerge. And they said, they said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. You know, if God is the giver of dreams, doesn't it stand to reason that he probably had some dreams for the brothers as well? And maybe their skepticism halted the dreams of God from being fulfilled in them. I don't know about you, but I have a leaning towards skepticism. Anybody else in here like that? Any cynics in here? Raise your hand. Don't feel judged. Oh, you're my people. I thought about starting a connect group, but that'd be a really negative connect group. <laughs> I lean that way. I'm always, what's your angle, bro? Like, what, what are you trying to sell me? Like, when you walk through the mall and those guys in the kiosks in the middle of the mall, you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't want the lotion. Don't talk to me. I'm going to Nordstrom. Can I get an amen from some people in here? One time my wife walked by a store and they were offering samples. She took it and took a bite and he was like, man, that's soap. It would have never happened to me. I would have thrown it in his face and said, run, run away. I wouldn't have done that. That has nothing to do with my message. Just get back to the point. I, I, I lean towards the skeptic. I, I lean towards sh show me the proof first. You know, when I think about the disciples. Some of you might know the stories, but... It, I would relate myself more to Peter or to Thomas than the other awesome disciples. The, the one who tended to speak their mind when they should just be quiet and the ones that needed to see the proof first. And I just wonder how many of us maybe have silenced the dreams because we're a little too skeptical. You know, it's interesting, God, in, in the only way that he can, he knew I'd struggle with this. And so one of the greatest pivots in my life came on the heels of a dream. Can I tell you the story? Is that all right? Many of you may have heard portions or nuances, maybe all of this story, but this is one of the most significant components of my life. And, and God used dreams because he knew I would struggle with this idea of believing that God can and, and wants to do what he says he can do. So my wife and I, we met in the church that I grew up in, my teenage years. And as many of you know, my wife was in college and I was in junior high and <laughs> she's not here. I can be feisty today. It's not true. <clears throat> she was in high school. And uh, I grew up in this church in Dallas, Texas. And it was a mega church. It was awesome to be a part of it. And in 2006, in the spring, I, God like birthed this dream in my heart. I know my heart's not there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Somewhere in this region. And it was this idea that maybe we were supposed to start a church and maybe in California. And we'd never been here. And it was a big dream and, and bigger than, than who we were and who we are. And if you'd asked me in that, that season of my life, I would have said we'll be in San Diego and start a church by the end of the year because I was the brilliant age of 26 and I knew so much. And it's interesting because he, he planted that dream in my heart and here you sit, right? So let's fast forward to the end and we'll jump back to the beginning. So we know that God did something with that dream. Because here, God has knit our lives together. 
in a fashion and manner that only he can in, in this beautiful artistry. A dream that began in 06. And, and I thought I knew how it was going to work. But what I didn't know was that in August of that same year, at 3.10 a.m., I pushed back from my pillow one night. And I woke up my wife and I said, babe, I just had a dream. Not metaphorical, not just some idea, an impression in my gut. But I had a dream that a friend of ours named David Wright called the pastor who we were currently serving for, Lawrence Kennedy. And David Wright asked Lawrence Kennedy if Megan and I could move to Phoenix and be his youth pastors for the church they started four months earlier. And I shook her because she had fallen back asleep. <laughs> Babe, could you do this? And she said it would have to be God because don't nobody want to live in Phoenix. <laughs> and I went back to sleep and I didn't know what to do with that. I sat on it for a month because I didn't know if it was pizza, gas, or Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Don't judge me. After a month, I couldn't let go of it. And, and, and the challenging part was my pastor, Lawrence Kennedy, who we were serving, he, he's of an old school regime. He's five foot nothing and yoked. Like he can break you with his eyes. He found Jesus in the hippie movement. His nickname was Buster because he would bust people over the head with a two by four for real. So you didn't just go in there. I'm like, hey, I have this dream without a backup plan because he might go, get out of here. Old school, we don't do that here. So after a month, I finally couldn't sit on it. I go, we gotta go talk to, we gotta go talk to Pastor Kennedy. So we set up an appointment, went and sat down and talked with him and said, hey, I gotta tell you a couple things. Number one, I feel like God put it on our heart to start a church and maybe in California. He goes, great, do it when you're 30 and got up to leave. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Also, I had this dream that David Wright called you and asked us to be his youth pastor. And he came over his desk. Are you lying to me, boy? Shaken. I peed my pants. <laughs> Did you have that dream? Did you talk to David? I'm like, let me think through the se sequence of questions here and try to answer in my fright. I had that dream, pastor. I didn't talk to David, and I'm not lying to you. Three more times he went through the same series of questions. I did not talk to David. I, I'm not lying to you. And I had this dream. He said, fine, go home, write your letter of resignation and bring it to me tomorrow. I'm like, okay. So I go home to my 2004 iMac. And I that's an insignificant part of the story. I type up our letter of resignation in the most surreal way. We've been at this church 17 years. Megan's mom and dad are on staff. My mom and dad are fully involved. We got married in that church. Megan's dad is about six months away from passing, which we didn't know. He's fighting terminal cancer that had collapsed his right lung and he's in pain, but chose not to do hospice so he could enjoy time with family. Just wanted that, that matters because those are the things you think through, the practicals, right? And I walked in with this letter of resignation and I said, hey, I have, I have this for you. I'm just trying to be faithful because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He said, come in my office. And he sits down and his cadence shifted. And he said, Carrie, did you have this dream? I said, yes, sir. 
He said, are you lying to me? I said, no. He said, did you talk to David? I said, no. He said, he called me three months ago and asked for you to come out and be his youth pastor. And I said, if it's God, I won't stand in the way. Three months later, we sold our dream home in Texas, which cost $17.82. It had a helipad in the back, Shetland ponies running in the floor. We had butlers, 42 cars, 18 garages. <laughs> Stupid. I think we sold it for like 180000 That's like a down payment right now for a shack. <laughs> I got to move on. We moved our family 1,200 miles away to a church that it was nine months old. And God did something miraculous in our life there. Five years later, I went to my pastor, David Wright, and I said, hey, I think we're supposed to plant this church in Orange County. And he said, you're absolutely right. You got to do it. And we're going to give you your salary for a year and a half just so you can get there with no issues. And now you're a part of the story. And I tell you that not to impress you because my life is riddled with choices that should be disqualifiers, but God only determines what disqualifies me. But I tell you that story because you need to know that God works in and through dreams. And if our response is pride or skepticism, we miss it. But if we look at the response of Jacob, Joseph's father, his response was openness. Sure, he got on to Jacob because he was a punk kid. But then at the end of this passage in verse 11, it says this, and the brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this in mind. In other words, I'm open to what God wants to do. I'm open to the fullness. I'm open to the potential. He didn't change things. He didn't stop fathering Joseph. He didn't shift gears. He was just faithful with what God had placed in his hands. He said, I'm going to be the best dad that I can be. I'm going to raise him the best way that I can. And God, you're going to do what only you can do. Just like Dory in Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Why? Because God is the giver of dreams. We steward the dreams. But listen, God initiates the dream. He begins the process. When a woman is pregnant, she doesn't give birth when she decides to. The time for birth is dependent upon what is inside of her. And what happens when a woman gives birth too soon? They're called premature babies. We put them into ICU and we put them in an incubator and do everything we can to nurse them back to health. Why? Because they were born too soon. The timing was not right. And all too often, you and I will do the same thing with the dreams that we have in our heart. We give birth to them too soon. And then we, we expend, expend all kinds of energy and effort and money and time to try to nurse it back to health if it can survive at all. And then we get frustrated, disgruntled, and probably even stop dreaming. God, where were you in that? God, what happened? And I, I thought you'd be there. And God's like, I don't ever leave. I don't ever forsake. I put the dream there in the first place, but you gave birth to it too soon. Because we induce the dream before it's time. Look at me, if God's the giver of dreams, no one can take it from you. 
The Bible says that it is irrevocable. The message paraphrase says it's got a lifetime warranty. If he's the giver of dreams, no one can take that from you. All you're supposed to do is simply steward it well. I'm going to be faithful right here. I'm going to be the best husband I can be, the best father I can be, the best mother I can be, the best brother I can be, the best Christ follower. I'm going to be the best student I can possibly be right now. Why? Because God's got a dream in my heart. And when it's time, I want to be ready. I don't want to birth this thing too soon. And I don't want to turn my eyes off it, but I want to keep my eyes fixed upon what he has for me, in me, and through me. And in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite and appropriate timing, he will initiate the dream. And that's what you want, that's what I want. Is it possible? Could I suggest that dreams are more about God reminding you of his faithfulness than it is about the future possibilities? Is it just a reminder that God's saying, I'm still in this with you? You're not alone, I didn't forget. No matter how you feel, no matter the circumstances, no matter the outcome, I'm still in this with you. It's like he leans in and he says, my plans are bigger and greater than you could know. And all we got to do is steward it well. I believe if you and I steward these dreams, the dreams that God gives us in our hands, and we steward them well, we don't force the timing, but we're just faithful. And there doesn't come this moment where the dream becomes a reality. But, but rather, you'll find that you've been living in the dream all along. The dream for me is not the day that we started this church. The dream for me is the fact that you're here right now. And the, the untold possibilities of what God's going to do when you and I collaborate for the future of God's purposes. They're unimaginable. They haven't even been tapped, haven't even been discovered yet. So we haven't arrived at the dream. We're living in the dream. I just want to awaken the dream within you today. Look at me in the eyes. It's time to start dreaming again. Stop allowing tomorrow, yesterday, or today to kill. Stop allowing it to kill your dreams. And just be open to the possibilities of what God wants to do. How many of you would say, you know what? I, I want God to awaken some dreams in me. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for us today. Me too. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. Nobody moving. God, we just thank you that you're here. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray you would begin to awaken dreams within each of us. Lord, I pray that there would be moments for people in here just like there were for me so many years ago, that they'd be awakened to dreams in the middle of the night, things that they would not even have thought a possibility that God, in the middle of the night, you'd awaken them with dreams. God, I pray you'd do it in a way that only you can, that you would stir our faith and then give us the courage and the faith to stay steadfast, to steward well what you place in our hands. We thank you for all that you're doing right now. In Jesus' mighty and precious name I pray, amen. Hey, before we move and go on for the service, I really believe that God's gonna give some of you some dreams, like legit dreams wake up in the middle of the night kind of dreams, life pivoting dreams. And I believe that some of you in this room, God has already done that for you, but you've been asleep to them or silencing them and it's time to wake those up. That's why we exist as a church. 
And there are some of you in this room who have a call to ministry on your life. And we want to help steward that. I don't know why, but that's always been something that God's done in and through my wife and I is just to help people who feel this leaning towards and calling to ministry. We want to help pull that to the surface. So you need to know that the Movement Church is a place for dreamers. It's a place for dreamers. So let's go for it and see what God can do. Amen? And hey, listen, I don't want to go any further in our service without talking to some of you who need to just begin the journey with Jesus. There's a starting point. And Pastor Jeremy said in the middle of a song today that God's done all the heavy lifting. All we must do is simply believe, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he can do, and has things for you and me like he says he does. And I want to give you a moment, a chance to take that step with him, to begin the journey. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. But this can be a moment with you and God right where you're seated. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer with me and put words to your faith and begin this journey with Jesus. Would you do me a favor? Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never begun this journey with Jesus, let me give you the words to speak. And if you're here and you've been running from God, playing with your destiny, flirting with your future, today is the day to come running back to him. I'd ask that you would join me in this prayer, maybe in a small whisper of the quietness of your own heart. But if that's you, you've never prayed this prayer or it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time, I want you just to say these words with me. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real, that you love me, and you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect, God. Would you forgive me? And now make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you're up to something big. God, I thank you that you're doing something miraculous in this place. And I pray, God, right now that you'd be faithful to your word, that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. So we thank you now for that which you've done, for that which you're doing. But God, we're excited about the dreams that you're planting in our heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.